0: The History Channel, original podcast. Sports history this week. December 24th, 1914. I'm Kalen Jones.
1: The night closed in early. The ghostly shadows that haunt trenches came to keep us company as we stood to arms. Under a pale moon, one could see the grave light rise of the ground which marked the German trenches 200 yards away. This
0: is Mike Hill, an author and journalist at the Lancashire Post. He's reading a letter written by Frederick W. Heath, an English private stationed in northeastern France. The Great War kicked off just a few months ago when the Germans invaded neutral Belgium. The French and British have sent their armies in an attempt to force a retreat by the Germans and liberate Belgium. They've set up trenches along what's known as the Western Front, from the northern coast of France down to Switzerland. Now in December, the war is at a standstill. Soldiers have been stuck in these trenches for
1: months in miserable conditions. So this is a cold, wet, horrible winter at the time. And it was a tough environment to survive in. And that's without the threat that if you put your head up just just an inch, just an inch too high, then you can be instantly killed by the the snipers from the opposite trenches.
0: It's in this context that Frederick Heath writes about Christmas Eve.
1: Still looking and dreaming, my eyes caught a flare in the darkness. And light in the enemy's trenches was so rare at that hour that I passed a message down the line. I had hardly spoken when light after light sprang up along the German front. I heard a voice. There was no mistaking that voice with its guttural ring. With ears strained, I listened. And then all down our line of trenches, there came to our ears a greeting unique in war. English soldier, English soldier, and Merry Christmas, and Merry Christmas.
0: Today, the Great War, World War I, comes to a halt as an unofficial ceasefire breaks out across the Western Front. Why do opposing nations choose to lay down their arms? And when they cross the battlefield, how do sports help them meet as friends? The men stationed on the Western Front are not career servicemen. They are everyday people with everyday jobs pulled from their lives due to a conflict beyond their control. The first battle of the Great War took place just a few months ago. But for many, including Border Regiment Sergeant C. Dobson, located in Northeastern France, the first combat comes on December 18th in bitter, wintry conditions.
1: I had my baptism of fire soon after I arrived here. Two days after my arrival, my company went into the trenches for four days' duty. On the fourth night, we made an attack on the enemy's trenches, which were only about 100 yards from ours, but our attack was unsuccessful. Although we got to the enemy's barbed wire and some men even got onto the trenches. I had 50 men in my platoon when we started, but at the finish I had only 29. The others were mostly wounded, I thought I would never get back. Now, if you imagine if you're in a trench and the conditions are pretty poor and no man's land is in front of you and there are hundreds of dead bodies strewn in front of you, the fact that you're looking at them, as much as anything, is an unpleasant sight, as well as the sort of, you know, to give them the, the dignity of, of a proper funeral. So there's an incentive there to be allowed to go out and collect the dead.
0: It's impossible, though. Stepping onto the battlefield for any reason would be a death wish. German snipers are waiting for the first sign of movement. But as Christmas draws closer, there's talk of a potential truce. I think there's
1: an environment that leads to the truce
0: that is formed in the weeks that run up to Christmas. That environment of goodwill grows as soldiers receive a gift of cigarettes from England's Princess Mary or Christmas pudding from their families back home. Frederick John Murray of the Australian Imperial Force writes about his experience during this
1: unique time. Snow-covered ground, wet sodden trenches, cold sleety winds, filth, dirt, vermin, and all the horrors of war. What a setting on the eve of the birthday of the Prince of Peace. Attached temporarily to a Welsh regiment for intelligence. How I wish myself back in sunny Egypt among my own wild Australians. But once in, you must play the game, and as the English Tommy would say, we'll go west, one place is another. Slowly the hours till midnight drifted away, all was calm and still in our sector. It seemed as if the war had drifted away, and the trench and filth, and all the attendant horrors of war, were only a dream. Occasionally in the distance, we would hear the dull boom of a big gun, or see the trailing flash of a rocket in the sky. But in front of us, all was still. Nothing but the ghostly strands of our own and the German barbed wire. While between the two lay the ghostly strip of no man's land, scarcely a hundred yards wide. Midnight had passed. Softly there came to us the strains of music out of the German trenches. They seemed to be tuning their instruments. Then, from the enemy's band, came the strains of the music and their soldiers sang the words of that beautiful old German hymn, Holy Night, Silent Night. Silent Night. and then there slowly appeared above the enemy trench a small lighted Christmas tree laden with cigars and other Christmas joys. Come over, they said, this is for you. We'll be fighting enough in the future.
0: Private Frederick Heath is located in a different corner of the Western Front. Like Murray, there's no official word of a ceasefire, and yet he has a
1: similar experience. Fires in the English lines had died down and that only the squelch of the sodden boots in the slushy mud, the whispered orders of the officers and the NCOs and the moan of the wind broke the silence of the night. The soldiers' Christmas Eve had come at last and it was hardly the time or place to feel grateful for it. Memory in her shrine had kept us in a trance of saddened silence. Back somewhere in England the fires were burning in cosy rooms. I had hardly spoken when light after light sprang up along the German front. Then quite near our dugouts, so near as to make me start and clutch my rifle, I heard a voice. There was no mistaking that voice with its guttural ring. With ears strained I listened. And then all down our line of trenches there came to our ears a greeting unique in war. English soldier, English soldier, and Merry Christmas, and Merry Christmas. Following that salute boomed the invitation from those harsh voices. Come out, English soldier, come out here to us. For some little time we were cautious, and did not even answer. Officers, fearing treachery, ordered the men to be silent. But up and down our line, one heard the men answering that Christmas greeting from the enemy. How could we resist wishing each other a Merry Christmas, even though we might be at each other's throats immediately afterwards? So we kept on a running conversation with the Germans, all our while our hands ready on our rifles, blood and peace enmity and fraternity war's most amazing paradox the night wore on to dawn a night made easier by songs from the German trenches the pipings of piccolos and from our broad lines laughter and Christmas carols not a shot was fired except far down on our right where the French artillery were at work come the dawn pencilling the sky with gray and pink. Under the early light, we saw our foes moving recklessly about on top of their trenches. Here indeed was courage, no seeking security of the shelter, but a brazen invitation to us to shoot and kill with deadly certainty. But did we shoot? Not likely. We stood up ourselves and called benisons on the Germans. <whistles> then came the invitation to fall out of the trenches and meet halfway. Still cautious we hung back. Not so the others, they ran forward in little groups, with hands held up above their heads, asking us to do the same. Not for long could such an appeal be resisted. Besides, was not the courage up to now all on one side? Out went the hands and tightened in the grip of friendship. Christmas had made the bitterest foes friends. Here was no desire to kill, but just wish of a few simple soldiers, that on Christmas Day, at any rate, the farce of fire should cease. We gave each other cigarettes and exchanged all manner of things. We wrote our names and addresses on the field service postcards and exchanged them for German ones. The gift of gifts was Christmas pudding. The sight of it made the Germans' eyes grow wide with hungry wonder. And the first bite of it, they were our friends forever. Given a sufficient quantity of Christmas puddings, every German in the trenches before ours would have surrendered. And so we stayed together for a while and talked even though all the time there was a strained feeling of suspicion which rather spoilt this Christmas armistice. We could not help remember that they were our enemies, even though we had shaken hands. We dare not advance too far near their trenches, lest we saw too much, nor could the Germans come beyond the barbed wire which lay before ours. After we had chatted, we turned back to our respective trenches for breakfast. All through the day, no shot was fired, and all we did was talk to each other, and make confessions which, perhaps, were true at that curious moment than in the normal times of war. How far this unofficial truce extended along the line, I do not know.
0: Some soldiers, like those who've lost friends or brothers, are not interested in a truce. They don't want to shake hands with the enemy. But for others, the truce is a welcome reprieve. Stuck in trenches all day, many just want to get out and stretch their legs. And importantly, give the dead a proper
1: burial. In some sense, this is not an act of spontaneous humanity. It's just practical. It's wanting to get out of the murky, freezing water of a trench and being able to stand up in safety and not worry about being sniped at or, or shot.
0: And with Burrow, you always get fast free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at slash acast. That's slash acast. slash acast. We're in northeast France on the border of Belgium as French and English servicemen fight to keep Germany back. It's Christmas Day and an informal, spontaneous
1: truce has broken out. An unnamed soldier writes the following. Here is a bit you can put in the news. The Germans had a lot of Christmas trees they took, the candles, and our men wrote on a board, a Merry Christmas. And the Germans wrote on another, extreme thanks. Then they beckoned for one of our men to go for some cigars, and he met the Germans halfway between the trenches. This was the Welsh of ears. Then their officer brought a bottle of champagne, which was drunk between them. Then all the men came and shook hands. The Germans, having occupied a brewery, rolled two barrels of beer up to our men. There was a stoppage of war for 24 hours, but they are at it again this morning. The Germans were thankful for jam, etc., which our men gave them. They say their officers fire on them if they don't fire on us every time they see an English soldier.
0: They're not just sharing cigars and drinking beer together. Football, or soccer as Americans call it, has a long history on both sides of the conflict, and the battlefield becomes a place to share in that
1: tradition. Private Frank Dimock. We exchanged sweets and smokes and played football with a rag ball. It seemed as if the war was over. One very large German got a lot of us around him and said, what are we fighting for? We should be on the same side, for we are the same blood as you. Another said we should get the heads of our nations round in a ring and let them fight it out. The best man to win and call it a day. Not a shot was fired for two weeks.
0: Here, an unnamed major of the Royal Army Medical Corps gives
1: his piece. This has been a strange Christmas. One of our men was given a bottle of wine in which to drink the king's health. The regiment actually had a football match with the Saxons, who beat them 3-2. Football.
0: It comes up again and again throughout these letters. Some give scores, others just talk about kicking the ball back and forth. But the concept that enemy
1: lines were playing football together, it's just hard to imagine. I think football has become almost a symbol of the Christmas truce. You know, there's a statue um, not far from where I am here, which shows two soldiers shaking hands with a football at their feet, and there's another statue actually out at the Western Front itself.
0: There wasn't some big game with the English and French on one side and the Germans on the other. The soldiers likely didn't even have a real ball. Perhaps a beef can was used or a hat stuffed with cloth. To Hill, the more important part of football's inclusion is what it provided to the
1: soldiers, a common ground. As it is now, it's a go-to place for conversation because we might not necessarily know who are. Each other's leaders are, or each other's politics are, or other cultural things, but we know each other's football teams and football stars.
0: So, servicemen from two completely different worlds come together, over a shared love of sports. Apart from that, Captain Sir Edward Hamilton westrow witnesses that overall feeling of camaraderie when he leaves his trench to meet unarmed German soldiers on the battlefield.
1: I believe they were speaking the truth when they said this and that they never wished to fire a shot again. They said that unless directly ordered, they were not going to shoot again until we did. Meanwhile, Scots and Huns were fraternising in the most genuine possible manner. Every sort of souvenir was exchanged, addresses given and received, photos of families shown, etc. One of our fellows offered German a cigarette. The German said, Virginian? Our fellow said, aye, straight cut. The German said, no thanks, I only smoked Turkish. <laughs> Gave us all a good laugh. A German NCO with the Iron Cross, gained, he told me, for conspicuous skill in sniping, started his fellows off on some marching tune. When they had done, I set the note for The Boys of Bonnie Scotland, Where the Heather and the Bluebells Grow. And so we went on, singing everything from Good King Wenceslas down to the ordinary Tommy's songs, and ended up with "Old Lang Syne, which we all, English, Scots, Irish-Prussian, Württembergers, etc. joined in. It was absolutely astounding, and if I'd seen it on a cinema film, I should have sworn that it was faked. From foul rain and wet, the weather had cleared up the night before, to a sharp frost, and it was a perfect day. Everything white and the silence seemed extraordinary, after the usual din. From all sides, birds seemed to arrive and we hardly ever see a bird generally. Later in the day, I fed about 50 sparrows outside my dugout, which shows how complete the silence and quiet was. I must say that I was very much impressed with the whole scene, and also, as everyone else, astoundingly relieved by the choirs and by being able to walk about freely. It is the first time, day or night, that we've heard no guns or rifle firing since I left Havre and convalescence. We all had a grand meal, and as we have only one officer of a company now, I had my meal in my dugout with the company cook and my servant and an artillery officer. We had steak, mashed potatoes, plum pudding, ginger biscuits, chocolate that's hot chocolate, whiskey and water, and finished by drinking your health and all at home in the best Russian Kimmel. During the afternoon, the same extraordinary scene was enacted between the lines, and one of the enemy told me that he was longing to get back to London. I assured him that so was I. He said that he was sick of the war and I told him that when the truce ended any of his friends would be welcome in our trenches and would be well received, fed and given a free passage to the Isle of Man. At 4.30pm we agreed to keep in our respective trenches and told them that the truce was ended. They persisted however in saying that they were not going to fire and as George has told us not to, unless they did, we prepared for a quiet night but warned all sentries to be doubly on the alert. The trenches are so close at this point that, of course, each side had to be far stricter. What well, he found an extremely pleasant and superior stamp of German officer, who arranged to bring all our dead to the halfway line. We took them over there and buried 29, exactly halfway between the two lines. Giles collected all personal effects, paybooks, and identity discs, but was stopped by the Germans when he told some men to bring in the rifles. All rifles lying on their side of the halfway line they kept carefully. This episode was the sadder side of Christmas Day, but it was a great thing being able to collect them, as their relations, to whom of course had been reported missing, were put out of suspense and hoping that they are prisoners. Well, all was quiet, as I said, that night, and next morning, while I was having breakfast, one of my NCOs came and reported that the enemy were again coming over to talk. So I went out and found the same lot as the day before. They told me again that I had no intention of firing and wished the truce to continue. I had instructions not to fire till so the enemy did. I told them, and so the same comic form of temporary truce continued on the 26th, and at 4.30pm I informed them that the truce was at an end. The only difference being that instead of all my men being out in the no man's land, one NCO and two men were allowed out, and the enemy therefore sent fewer. Again both sides have improving their comfort during the day, and again at night I continued on my barbed wire and finished it right off.
0: For most, the truce comes to an end after Christmas Day. Some come to an agreement that a ceasefire would end upon the firing of three shots from a pistol. In other places, the truce lasts for days, but soon enough, the fight resumes in full force. There are countless additional experiences captured in letters. Mike Hill has many in his book, but not all. Stories of Germans cutting the British hair, People dressing up in nice clothes. Some even going to the opposite trenches, potentially giving away valuable intelligence. For Hill, the story is powerful for a few reasons. It's proof of emotion in a generation known for their composure. There was actually quite a lot of emotions in the letters that were conveyed. The truce showed the power of football, and sports more generally,
1: as a source of common ground. The idea of meeting people and shaking hands and having a conversation and swapping gifts, it's pretty remarkable in itself, but it's another level to actually lay down your arms and play football.
0: And lastly, the story of the Christmas truce is powerful because it's a potent example of the values of Christmas.
1: It's a story of peace and goodwill. I think that's why it's become something that's part of the Christmas culture, And it's part of that whole sort of mosaic of what makes Christmas and what it's about. You know, people coming together and people having a good time just for a short period of time.
0: Thanks for listening to Sports History This Week. For moments throughout history that are also worth watching, check your local TV listings to find out what's on the History Channel today. Other notable sports stories that happened this week? 1956. Bill Russell makes his debut with the Boston Celtics. 1988, the University of Oklahoma, who's won six national football championships, is handed a three-year probation for repeated recruiting violations. If you want to get in touch, feel free to email us at sportspod@history.com or leave a voicemail at 212-351-0410. We love to hear from our fans and non-fans too. Special thanks to our guest, Mike Hill, author of The Christmas Truce by the Men Who Took Part, Letters from the 1914 Ceasefire on the Western Front. This episode was produced by Cooper McKim, story edited by me, Kalen Jones, and sound designed by Bill Moss. Sports History This Week is also produced by David Ingber. Our associate producers are Emma Fredericks and Hazel May. Our senior producer is Ben Dixie. Our supervising producer is McKamey Lynn, and our executive producer is Jesse Katz. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review Sports History This Week wherever you get your podcasts, and we'll see you next week.